Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today, live from Istanbul, is the CEO of the Marketing Society. They are a great, great partner of Advertising Week all over the world. She's a very active, uh, invaluable member of our Advisory Council for Advertising Week Europe. Uh, we are excited to be participating uh, with uh, Michelle and Jason next week at the Marketing Society U.S., annual shindig uh we're very excited to uh, be there uh shortly and it is a thrill to have sophie devonshire with us so a really really heartfelt welcome sophie this is long overdue and i'm delighted to have you on great minds today thank you matt always lovely to talk to you and i'm looking forward to this so so if one of the issues that um i think about a lot is the future of cities and towns and bricks and mortar, large and small. And among the many issues that our policymakers are not discussing as they continue to practice the politics of divisiveness and distraction and very little conversation about real issues is how we are going to navigate the world today where e-commerce is such a rising part of the world and how the fundamental behaviors of consumers have shifted. You are part of the business commission that was set up in Hammersmith and Fulham and look at White City, Shepherd's Bush, Fulham, Hammersmith, and look at sort of balancing a very rich history around creativity and innovation, but also help ensure that those communities continue to thrive. Uh, and I'd love to start by getting your take on that evolution and some of the conversations that you have as a leader of that group around ensuring that it continues to thrive going forward. What an interesting thing to pick up on straight away, Matt. So a couple of thoughts related to that. I think the first and most important one is we are navigating such rapidly changing times in business and, and in society. And I think at the heart of everything that we see that's working there is um, a, an element where different people different organizations different entities come together to achieve more uh, by combining by collaborating and Hammersmith and Fulham uh, which is a you know, really interesting part of London uh, the joint venture there between them and Imperial College which is one of the most incredible universities in the world it's joint venture with them and Hammersmith and Fulham Council and the local business community. And what was fascinating about that as an, as an initiative is you've got education sector, the uh, political sector and business coming together to make something happen. And what was important was at the heart of that was a belief that business can be a force for good, not just for the individuals involved running those businesses, but that it has an, a role to play in society, in making sure that our lives are ones that are full and purposeful and thrive. So I do think there is an interesting extrapolation for those of us who work in marketing and advertising, who are leading in business, which is to think about the implications and the power we have um, by being part of business and celebrating what we can do in society. Yeah, it, it, it's such a complicated topic. And right near where our office is in Herald Square and where Advertising Week will be this year in the Penn District, 
is Macy's, which bills itself as the world's largest department store. I don't think that's true. But Macy's is a very venerable old store that's been around a very long period of time. And that's the original location in the flagship. And our old office used to look over the roof and it's a very jagged roof. It is not flat at all. And I read fairly recently that they're trying to figure out a way to do something with the air rights to build on top of it. And for many buildings and many retail buildings, the value now is the real estate versus the core business. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, you know, I've walked through the store on occasion on my way to the subway, I'll cut through and there's not a lot of people in there and it's, it's upsetting. No, I think there's a, there's a, in all the cities, so, you know, marketing society is an international community and in all the major cities that this is a conversation that's going on. And I think what is fascinating is trying to understand what we can do and how we can make sure that we're not losing that sense of community. So it goes back to that, that feeling and that sense of belonging that people need, which is what you get with physical connections. So what's interesting about the, uh, the joint venture you just brought up there is at the heart, when we did the research into it, at the heart of it was the idea that people need to feel like they've got a sense of connection and belonging with their local community. It was interesting to see across the pandemic that playing out, you know, how are you connected with your local environments as well. But because of the economic complexity of, the, of what's happened with property, there is something that needs to be done about, around retail. We brought um, Mary Portis on stage in London last year, who's um, done a lot of work, obviously, looking at the high street across the years. Um, and I think there's there's some interesting conversations to be had. The other thing out of that collaboration piece that we did as well was it's a classic example of it took one visionary leader. So the head, um, uh, the leader of the Hammersmith and Fulham Council to say, we need to make a difference for this. So Hammersmith was a very rundown area. I joked that it was called Glamoursmith because it certainly wasn't glamorous. It was King Street. The retail area was really rundown and, and, and rubbish. And this one visionary leader said, we need to do something about this area in order to attract more business into to, um, this part of London. We need to do something to regenerate it all. And that vision across the last three years and what's happened and the transformation that's going on, there's a whole civic centre being created there but it's about smart people coming together and realizing that we can sit around going oh, I wish it was like the old days and wasn't it great fantastic there but we've all got to move forward and find the new ways to make things work and there is always a way to make things better yeah I, I could not agree more my early career was uh, my first job was working for a very very uh, brilliant idea that a great mayor that we had years ago named Ed Cott, it's rare that you put the words great and mayor together these <laughs> days anywhere in the world. And he created something called the commission on the year 2000. This was about 1985, 86. And my first job out of university was a policy analyst for the commission on the year 2000. And it was a comprehensive blueprint for the future of New York. What will New York be like in the year 2000? And what do we need to be ready? I just found the report recently when we moved uh, house actually, the actual written report. And it covered every area, economic development, crime, healthcare, education, waterfront development. I wrote the chapters on economic development, transportation, and we did a special report on waterfront development. 
And an awful lot of what was in that report came to fruition. And, you know, there was a can-do spirit at that time here. I see that can-do spirit in London. I love the Elizabeth line, you know, and I lament our ability here in the Western world with politics being what they are. And again, that distraction and divisiveness that we've taken our eye off the ball and lost a little bit of that can-do mojo. Can-do mojo is at the heart of what you do with the marketing society. So I love that story about uh, Hammersmith Fulham. That's just absolutely terrific stuff. But it starts with a vision and a will to make something better. I think that can-do mojo is interesting because it is, I mean, I've spent a lot of time with entrepreneur founders, you know, being one myself, uh, not as successfully as lots of other people, but, um, and we talk a lot with the big uh, uh, businesses and corporates that we work with and the leaders there about that entrepreneurial spirit or the intrapreneurial spirit. And I think across the pandemic, across economic challenges, in marketing generally, it's really, it's an amazing, amazing profession. Absolutely amazing, but it's really challenging. And unless you have that can do, what if, how can we think about this creatively? How can we believe um, that the future can get to where we want it to? I think there's something missing in leadership. I think there's something missing in, um, in in business. If we haven't got people who've got that approach, definitely need it more in politics, definitely need it more in other parts of the world. But let's focus first on um, supporting the best people in marketing and advertising who have that spirit. Uh, 100%. So let's, uh, let's get into uh, your story. Sophie, this is about you after all. Go back to early days working on Procter & Gamble. Great training ground, could not think of a better brand or set of brands. I know you worked on uh, the integration of the Tampax brand into the P&G family, but really widely regarded as sort of the Aberdeen training ground <laughs> to have that experience in. That was your very first experience. So I feel so lucky, Matt, to have had that um, and the truth was I fell into it. Um, the One of the best things that P&G do, um, I think they still do, I'm pretty sure they still do it, but they certainly did at the time, which was because they have promotion from within, the way in which they get people from university is to target those who are involved in societies. So going back to your can-do attitude, people who are above and beyond their normal education are doing other things are you know, a good bet for them. But they didn't dedupe their database. So I'm at Durham University, I'm in the Northeast. I am thinking about advertising, would not have thought about a packaged goods company at all, but they're sending me all these letters. So I think, well, I might as well go along for, for an interview, for interview practice. And then as soon as I got into my first interview, the people I spoke to were so compelling and their love of work and their interest in business was absolutely fantastic. So one of those people, still a good friend, still at PNG, uh, Gary Coombe, who is the global CEO of uh, Gillette and Grooming. And listening to him uh, talk about what it was like to work in brand management completely sold me on it. And next thing I know, I've started work, you know, with this group of people, one of whom is now my husband, you know, some of whom are still my best friends, you know, I'm still in contact with everybody, amazing group of people. And as you say, exceptionally good training. I loved it. I fell in love, you know, 
with my husband when I met him. I fell in love with business. I found it fascinating and didn't expect to. Um, and I definitely fell in love with brands and marketing. And it was P&G that made that possible. Um, and I still am connected with people. I've gone back to do more time with it. Um, and it's an incredible organization still. So as with many of us, and certainly an awful lot of my career was uh, unplanned and let's call it inadvertent, my academic training ended up having very little to what I do in a straight up factual sense, but I was a political science and sociology major. And I think sociology in particular is underrated that it helps teach you how to think. Mm -hmm. You were a history major. How has that helped with your foundation going back to your time at uh, University of Durham? The year I graduated, there was some incredible statistic about the number of history graduates who were FTSE 100 CEOs. I remember someone telling me um, history has become much less less fashionable in the UK. Um, I am so glad I read history because I think the foundations of being able to look at different perspectives, different bits of data, to come up with a clear point of view, to tell a story, to tell a compelling, bring together a compelling argument, couldn't be anything better than uh, a development for business. Um, and it's interesting. It's interesting because at the heart of history, there is human psychology, and that is at the heart of what makes marketing particularly interesting. And I'm sure the sociology uh, overhang is interesting there. My eldest daughter has just gone to university to read English and philosophy, actually. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about what's happening with education and how it's going to change and how people learn about business. And of course, it will change. But I feel lucky to have read enough about history to understand more about people. And there's references and stories from what I learned then that are still relevant now. Absolutely fantastic. I love those foundations. And what popped into my head was years ago, I took my son to see JJ Abrams speak. And I don't remember exactly what he was promoting at that time. So long time ago, and you could meet him afterwards. And we waited online to meet JJ Abrams and his wife was there. And she had a conversation with my son and said, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to study? And he said, I want to be a writer, you know, comedian, film. I want to go to like NYU film school at that time or something along those lines. And she said, well, I wouldn't do that. And he said, why? And she said, because you have to have something to write about. <laughs> and I thought that was such a good answer. And I think these more broad foundations, you know, for people that end up in the business that you and I ended up in is really quite helpful and underrated. Yeah. And I think that's why, you know, when my daughter talked about doing business straight away, I was definitely not. I think there are parallels for those of us who are continuous learners as well. And, you know, people within the marketing society tend to be curious, you know, focused on continuous improvement. All the evidence shows how useful it is to look more broadly. You know, the ideas that come from anywhere, the um, analogous stories, you know, the, the different experiences, the classic Steve Jobs calligraphy class, whatever it is. So I do think that if we want to be really good at what we're doing, continuing to have um, broad learning and look in different areas is useful. And that certainly starts at degree level. You move from one great brand, Procter & Gamble, to another, Coca-Cola Great Britain, and work on some great brands there, including Dr. Pepper, 
at the time of the acquisition. Tell us about that journey from P&G to Coke and some remembrances that you have working on another great global bellwether brand. Again, some fantastic people I've met and stayed in contact with. Um, what was interesting, of course, when you start to understand how different companies work is how two companies, both American-led, multinational, both brand-led um, FMCG organizations, it was a very different culture between P&G and, and Coke. Um, so that was one of my first lessons and understanding of, you know, how organizations can be so different, which is one of the topics I'm very interested in. Um, I love the brands I worked on, worked with some great agencies. We did some pitches, acquiring Dr. Pepper was great fun, keeping the jingle going. Um, and I worked with uh, Julia Golding, who was actually uh, voted the Marketing Leader of the Year at the Marketing Society Awards last year, who's gone on to do incredible things at Lego. Um, and was a, a great uh, person to work with. Uh, so it was it was a fantastic time, you know, plenty of challenges in the culture while I was there, but um, Coke just, you know, same as P&G, the confidence you have when you understand that brands have power in business means that you really care and can nurture and support those brands. And I think that's... Um, very important to to take to other organizations and within the marketing society we've got people from all kinds of different backgrounds and a lot of the time what they're doing is standing up for marketing and its role in growth and in innovation etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, and sometimes it's a bit hard if they've come from unilever png or whatever to go to different places but what, what they bring is that confidence not arrogance um, of seeing that it really does work it's absolutely terrific stuff just as the marketing society has a true global footprint, so do you. And you find yourself going from client side, as they say in the trade, to agency side, uh, and moving off to Dubai to work at Leo Burnett. Talk about that. That's a big move. You're still pretty young. I'm going to guess still in your 20s. And uh, packing up the ranch and uh, moving to Dubai, which was, you know, a little bit different then than it is today it was coming but it wasn't really there yet yeah no and it's wonderful i mean it's been brilliant to have the opportunity to uh, live and work in different countries across my career it's been great um but my career so helen tupper uh, who is a member of the marketing society but uh, people listening if you don't listen to this the uh, amazing if podcast um it's a really interesting podcast on the world of work and she and her partner, Sarah, talk about squiggly careers, you know, that sometimes it's not as linear. And I think when I started at PNG, you know, there was probably in my mind and other people's mind, the expectation that it would be quite a linear career for me. But because of falling in love with somebody who happened to need to work overseas and, and what that brings to your life, um, we had the opportunity to move to Dubai um, in 2002. And it just gave me so much more of a different perspective on things. So classic example of how it's slightly frustrating when your career is going some way to, to, to have to move. But Dubai, which is one of the most interesting places and remains one of our very, very important and growing hubs. Um, we have some terrific members in the UAE and it's, it's continuing to be a very vibrant part of the marketing society. But back then, um, 
what was fantastic going from the UK to, the, to, to Dubai was seeing how fast things happened. So um, it was, and it was also working with a really different group of people. So I had an amazing team. I had uh, Lebanese, Palestinian, Jordanian, Emirati, really different cultures coming together. Um, and we were working in an environment where somebody would say, let's make that happen. I mean, classic, let's, let's, hey, let's put a, a ski dome in the desert. Let's make that tower bigger. Let's launch this. And things happen super fast. And I found that intoxicating coming from the UK where it felt like things were so much slower. The pace of change in Dubai, together with that sense of uh, really seeing what happened when different cultures come together, was a really powerful experience for me. Um, and what's great is years later, you know, I'm now back with the Marketing Society and with lovely friends and contacts. You know, my my boss at the time when I was working out there is now on the board for the Marketing Society in the UAE. Um, and I'm seeing the rate of change in the Middle East still um, happening very fast. But it meant that when I came back to the UK, I got a taste for seeing things move fast. I love the uh, circular nature of some of the relationships, how they come back 20 years later in a different context, going back to days at P&G. It's a, it's, a, it's a great, great story. Give us some reflections. You're in Dubai frequently. The Marketing Society is leading the marketing community on the ground there. You have a great, great team there. Give us reflections on the growth trajectory. You alluded to it in general terms, but the city that you first landed in back then, and now when you go back more than 20 years later, how do you characterize that growth and what you've seen? We know they move quick. We know they get a lot of stuff done. We know about the Burj Al Arab and the world's tallest building, but give us reflections on having seen as an eyewitness that growth trajectory. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's fascinating. And the, I think if it, the parallels for, for businesses, you know, it's the combination of you need to be able to put money into things, right? You see in business uh, that helps with growth. So that being the, the revenue and being able to do it. Um, but I think you also need the right people on the ground. And we've talked already about that can do spirit, the sort of people that were working in Dubai when I was there, the people I see who are there in the UAE now, um, they tend to be people who want to make things happen. And having that combined with positive economic situation, uh, you know, certain legislation and, and ways to make things happen, you, you get a very exciting sense of momentum. And Dubai, I, I think, has obviously, like countries across the world, gone through different periods of, of time. But it was relatively open in the pandemic, which was interesting. So I joined the Marketing Society slap bang in the middle of pandemic, um, 2020. I didn't have a single in real life, in-person event for 12 months, apart from there was one in Dubai. Um, so I think there's quite an interesting uh, focus there. We've got the uh, uh, the CMO of um, Saudi tourism, but also the CMO of, of um, UAE uh, tourism, you know, have been involved with the society. We have lots of people involved in place branding um, across the society. And I think that's quite interesting as well. How do you make sure 
that you're supporting how people see the country um, and and what's happening within it. So, yeah, very biased in favour of, of the people I know in the UAE, because I do think they are all, you know, like most marketing society members, incredibly ambitious. Um, and there's an infrastructure there that's supporting them, really making a difference. Yeah. There was a, a, a UK agency years ago. I don't remember exactly how I met them, but uh, it was Bell Pottinger, Lord Bell. And one of their clients was Emirates. And I ended up meeting a guy who I think is still there, Boutrous Boutrous at Emirates Airline. And he came to New York and we uh, got together and they had hired some people who were senior execs at the old Pan Am airlines which is long gone you'll see it in like movies from the 70s you know a pan am plane or a twa plane another brand that's gone and that was when emirates was contemplating launching in america and to see what that airline has become from you know the early 90s when it didn't exist here what it's not only gr growth in the us of course but globally it's an amazing story and I think what we're about to see is Saudi following that same recipe, only with an even higher horsepower engine. Yeah, and I think I think the airlines are a great example. So um, Amina, who's on our board in Abu Dhabi, is also CMO for Etihad, and they're doing some really interesting uh, things as well. Um, and yeah, I think there's so much to to watch there, and what is very interesting is seeing the conversations that are going on in the UAE and in the Middle East around the role of marketing. So it's not been a market that's had marketing leadership uh, with such long history. So the people who are there are really interested in what can we learn from other countries about what we're doing, but also what can we do to shape it? So our members have just um, founded a, a sustainability squad. So a number of our members who are working on that there's another initiative called Think Equal, which is about gender equality in the marketing industry in um, uh, the UAE. I think Campaign Magazine did a brilliant uh, 100 Changemakers in Dubai uh, piece. All those 100 Changemakers were male. Um, so I think there was a, a feeling that there is something that can be done around that. Um, and there's lots of conversations about how can we make sure that everybody there is continuing to, you know, the hunger to learn again. Um, is is coming out of all the marketing leaders in that region. A uh, hundred people all male. That's an awfully big unforced error. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's something. I mean, maybe maybe I'm exaggerating the exact numbers, but it was certainly one. Yeah, and a classic example of something like that happening, and therefore, you know, dynamic progressive marketers going. Actually, we could probably do something to help with this, and setting up Think Equal within the marketing society. To you know, we've got people in the marketing society. They want to make an impact, and they want to make a difference. Yeah, and actually we can. Fantastic stuff, Sophie. So you mentioned uh, the word entrepreneur, and that's also part of who you are. Uh, can we talk a little bit about Babes with Babies, <laughs> which was your baby going back to about 2006? You do your research well, Matt. Um, so I came back from uh, Dubai to, the, to London, and I knew that I would be going overseas again. Um, in three years time and thought it would be a good idea to set up a business that I could run from anywhere to make it easier. I came back and I was pregnant um, and I, uh, about a year later, set, set up an e-commerce business 
just at the time when people were really looking at could you could you build brands online and and what was possible. Um, so we had a fascinating time setting up a business, um, customer service focused business, uh, no money. You know, moving from spending other people's massive budgets to it being a bit of my savings was a lesson in itself, as you can imagine. Um, I do think setting up a startup at the time, I was like, how hard can it be? Uh, turns out it's really hard. Um, so one of the, the best gifts of this is it has made me very empathetic to my entrepreneur friends. But I was lucky we um, founded it, ran it for three years from the UK. It started to, to grow. Um, I then moved to Tallinn in Estonia for three years and ran it from there for um, bringing it back to the UK to sell it. So fascinating experience. I think classic founding and being an entrepreneur is not for everyone. Um, and I there was, there was, yeah, it was quite an experience. And uh, you stayed involved with the company that you sold it to quintessentially for quite some time. Yep. So I um, sold it to quintessentially at a time when they were wanting to expand uh, and make that happen and had some time with them looking at luxury branding. Um, but then an old uh, friend of mine who I'd worked with at Interbrands gave me a call and said, uh, would you be interested in coming back to do some more consultancy? Um, and I actually really enjoyed my time as a consultant because I have a relatively butterfly mind and, the, you know, getting involved in lots of different businesses and relatively quickly picking them up and helping them was was great. Um, and the business was a fascinating uh, senior leadership uh, business so we were working with exec teams on their uh, brands inside the business but not so much from a marketing perspective from helping everybody else build their brands inside out and we were also working with them on uh, how to pick up the pace so how to 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 really be better executive teams and running it inside the business so yeah I was with the caffeine partnership uh, running that for uh, a number of years afterwards. And when you started at the Caffeine Partnership, one of the tent poles was brands and purpose. And going back almost 10 years now, that was sort of a little early to that game, which has now been elevated, uh, if you will, for CMOs globally. Uh, not a conversation goes by when you are in having some conversation with a brand leader around DEI, around sustainability, around mental uh, health and well-being, uh, all of the issues that transcend the industry that are real-world issues that have now moved into the mainstream conversation for marketing leaders. Talk about the landscape 10 years ago, uh, give or take, on early days, let's call them, of the embrace of brands operating with purpose and understanding that purpose and profit were not necessarily at odds as I think long believed. Yeah. So this, as you know, this continues to be a live debate. Uh, I was in Singapore last week um, talking about exactly this um, at our creativity conference there. Um, so very specifically within the Caffeine Partnership, we were looking at organizational purpose. So uh, the founder of Caffeine, Andy Milligan, wrote a great book called On Purpose. And that was looking not as at CSR, but looking at defining uh, what organizations do to make a difference in the world. So let's take an example. Um, Premier Inn uh, in the UK, they define their purpose as to give everybody a good night's sleep. 
right? And that purpose becomes their foundation, their filter for decision-making in the organization. It's not about, you know, CSR on, on steroids. It's about defining what we what everyone stands for and giving it focus. So a lot of the work I was doing and, you know, and I continue to believe in this side of purpose is about really being clear on what that organization is, is there for and how everybody plays a role and how motivating that can be. There's then a whole different question, which gets more complicated when you look at defining individual brands and what their purpose is and how you define um, purpose. So I think there's a lot of debate when we get into the marketing nuances around that. Do I think that businesses can have a positive role to play in the world? Absolutely. Um, what that is and how it's defined, I think, has got more confused for people. Um, so I think it's really important for every single organisation to have clarity on that um, and to do some work internally to make sure it's clear um, and to talk about it in a way that, that ties it all together. And the whole uh, purpose before profit, how does it work? You know, I, I think in a, in a world where and we see it very much in the advertising agencies and media agencies who are part of the marketing society, talent retention is one of the most important issues we're all facing. So the role of having clarity of purpose, if we're true to it or within an organization is incredibly important as a, you know, for our talent brands, so there's lots of benefits in getting it right. Um, but it, at the time for us, it, we work with all kinds of different organizations and quite hard-nosed ones in just getting that clarity of organization purpose. And I still believe that um, knowing what you stand for, we talked about um, great brands should stand up, stand out and stand firm. So stand up for what they believe in and, and what they are about. Uh, stand out so we can get into the whole uh, I'm a, I'm with uh, Mark Ritson on Tuesday next week talking about differentiation, this whole distinctiveness side of things. So, so that's great. And then the stand firm. We all know how hard it is to be consistent with our messaging, with our communications or whatever. So that's what we focused in on, um, which was a lot of fun working with lots of different brands on that. Uh, I love your take here. And the, my takeaway is that there's a certain depth of thinking and organizational planning that has to go in for this stuff to really work versus just a more uh, uh, move for, you know, without as much thought and just, oh, oh, we should run to, everybody's talking about that. We should embrace, you know, whatever this or that cause of the moment might be, if you will. Jumping on the brand wagon, right? Yeah. Um, excited about that. So I, we're probably going to talk about this, but um, I wrote about this um, in my first book, Superfast. One, of, it was a whole chapter on it. One of the things I firmly believe is that if you do do that work, if you slow down to think about it, purpose drives pace. So I spoke to a number of different business leaders who had done that work. To, you know, people like. Uh, there's a retailer in the UK called Oliver Bonas. There's, you know, tech companies. A clarity of purpose can help speed up decision making within the organization, increase motivation, um, you know, increase attractiveness for what's going on in that business. So I do think there's a, a, a speed benefit if you do that slowing down to think about it. Uh, I, I love it. Mm -hmm.
Let's talk about your journey to the marketing society. You take over an organization that has a pretty solid reputation, uh, a decent global footprint. And in three years time, your leadership has really transformed the marketing society. The impact that you are having globally on our industry has risen exponentially. And that's not an accident. So I'd love to talk about your journey to, to take the gig and uh, experience that you touched on taking the helm at a time when much of the world is closed. That's an interesting time to begin a tenure as a chief exec. And give us your take on the journey so far. And I'd love to talk about what you haven't done or what hasn't gone well as well as what has gone well. Well, first of all, thank you for saying that. It's a very lovely thing to say. Um, and thank you for asking such difficult questions. Uh, you always make me think, how did I end up at the Marketing Society? So I was um, happy at Caffeine. We were doing some interesting things, but a clever headhunter picked up the phone. I have great respect for um, my executive search friends, you know, when they do this kind of matchmaking. Um, I'd known my predecessor, Gemma, and knew she was leaving, but it hadn't occurred to me that this was a role for me. Um, but when I came in and spoke to our chair, Craig Ingalls, um, he sort of asked me about my personal purpose, if you like, and what I wanted to do. Um, and I realised that actually the opportunity to be part of a not-for-profit organisation that can have incredible impact in helping individuals and in helping businesses grow uh, felt very exciting. And to take a 64-year-old brand, you know, we were born in a pub in London in 1959 and make it even more relevant felt like a very attractive proposition, despite the fact that we were um, three months into the pandemic. And of course, None of us thought it would last as long as it did. Um, but it, yeah, it, sometimes it's good to join places in challenging times because everybody comes together, you know, and things can only get better when it's like that, right? Yeah. So talk about where you were when you started, where you are today and, you know, nearly Q4 of 2023 and What's your vision for the year or three years ahead? I know you're a planner and a thinker. <laughs> well, you talked about what I haven't done yet. I mean, we I feel like we've barely got started. I know there's a lot of potential for us. I know we've got some fantastic partners like Advertising Week, like, uh, uh, and we've got some incredible members, all of whom can see what more we can do with this global community of change makers. Um, so what have we done? We, I certainly came in and spent quite a lot of time listening. Um, it, marketeers are quite opinionated and they're quite smart and there are lots of opinions and there are always lots of opinions um, about what you can do and what's possible. And we've kept it very simple. Um, we've got a great team. You talked um, before about Dubai, 
got Alistair based out in Dubai. Um, we've just brought Bryony out to um, Hong Kong and Singapore. We're going to be bringing somebody to New York. Um, we've got a, a great bunch of people who have been supporting the society for a while. But very simply, what we wanted to do, first of all, was steady the ship a little bit. Pandemic is a challenge for an organisation like ours. So we wanted to make sure that we were healthy as an organisation and able to support what was going on. And we also sharpened what we stood for. So we are we could see that the sort of people who were joining were smart people, ambitious people, progressive people. So this idea of people who want to make an impact and make a difference and looking at what they needed. So we're very clear that what we can offer as an organization is help great marketers do well. You know, it is an accelerating experience being part of the marketing society. We see people flourish and thrive and go further and faster. So helping them do well is really, really great and exciting and very rational. But we also, with the community that we offer, with the inspiration, the acceleration, you know, professional development programs and connections, and the, yeah, the connections and conversations, we know we can also help people do good. Now, of course, that's doing good in society, being responsible uh, leaders as well as um, responsive, moving fast. Um, but I also mean doing good within their organizations to be the ones leading the conversations. And marketeers, I believe, we believe, everyone can see, can be incredibly powerful when they're leading their organizations and linking up everyone with the customer. I also, we've talked a lot about doing good within the economy. All the economies in which we operate need business to thrive and grow. And marketeers are the engine growths, you know, the advertising industry, the media industry can make a huge difference economically. And we shouldn't shy away from the fact that marketing is a commercial function. So we've been, you know, spending a lot of time looking at, you know, what can we do to support our members and support marketing as a profession and an industry uh, that is a positive force for good, commercially, creatively, and in a way that inspires. Yeah, the industry has an odd juxtaposition because on one hand, we are the keepers of brands and images. On the other hand, the industry does a relatively poor job of how it markets itself. And one of the very first things that we did 20 some odd years ago before the first advertising week in New York in the fall of 2004, when I got the gig, I went out to, uh, I think it was KPMG, and we did an economic impact study of what the advertising and media industry meant to the New York City economy. And at that time, and bear in mind, there was no Facebook, in, this was done probably 2002, 2003, there was no Facebook, there was no iPhone, there was no Android, there was no YouTube, certainly there was no artificial intelligence or retail media or any of the hot topics around data and analytics that we cover on all of our global agendas. But even then, the impact was about 19 cents out of every dollar of the New York City economy was traced to our industry. I would venture a guess with all the hiring technology driven in particular that that has dramatically outpaced some of the industries like the magazine business that has gotten smaller. 
and uh, probably right time to do another study like that. But I think that's a very important point that we are a vital contributor in our industry to the economies of places large and small all over the world. That's a, a fascinating report, actually. And um, I think there is the Advertising Association in the UK have done a specific one around the amount invested in, in advertising. But I think, I think there's a broader point here, and I, and I do feel strongly about this, and there's a lot we can do together. They call it the Solomon paradox. It's kind of, you know, cobbler's shoes and doctors getting unwell. You know, marketeers, we do need to think about how we are marketing marketing as a profession. You know, it, it doesn't have the appeal it once had and it should. Um, and as a very important and complex role that people play. And I hear so many fantastic examples of what difference great marketing can make to businesses, the impact of fantastic marketing leadership as well. And I think with coming together as, as trade bodies, as um, industry partners, there's a lot more we can do to share those stories, to showcase what great marketing can do and actually work together on standing up for marketing and uh, marketing marketing a little better. Yeah, I, I think we got a lot of headroom there. So I love your book, Super Fast, which is now, give or take, five years old. Is there another book ahead for you, Sophie? So uh, <laughs> there is um, the, 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 definitely the thing about writing is you you sort of underestimate how, how hard it could be. I definitely, when I st first started writing super fast, I was a bit arrogant about it. I wrote blogs really quickly. I read quickly. I, I thought it would be easy and it was incredibly hard. It's like becoming a parent writing. Uh, it's a brilliant idea in theory. There's lots of pleasure in the conception, but the actual uh, uh, getting it out is a little bit more painful, um, but then it's totally worth it. So writing super fast was a, a wonderful experience. I got to meet a hundred different amazing leaders, many of whom I'm still in contact with. I learned a lot and I've been speaking across the world about leadership as a result and really enjoyed that. I did write a second book in partnership with uh, Ben Renshaw last year, who is a um, global performance coach, very specifically looking at a topic close to his heart, which is how do we love work more? So uh, it's about thriving at work and, and recovering and discovering uh, a better relationship with work. But A, there isn't that much time in, in my life to write. And B, there's still so much I would love to share about some of the insights from super fast and pace setting perspectives, which are more relevant than ever now. Um, and there are lots of other stories I want to continue to share with what I'm doing in my day job. So maybe not another book right now, just yet. Okay, fair enough. Well, we bungled that. I'm, I'm going to have to get the second book. So <laughs> uh, as we start to wrap, you're setting the thought leadership agenda all over the world. You're on a plane. You're going from place to place. Singapore last week, Istanbul this week, New York next week. What is the single, and this is a little bit of an unfair question, but what do you think the single biggest challenge is facing the marketing community today? I do think the biggest challenge is underestimating the power of our community. I just don't think, and the conversations I have with people, I just don't think we can solve either the challenges of marketing ourselves or um, 
the ability to learn fast uh, by our, you know, in, as individuals. So whether you're in advertising, media, communications, marketing, there are some existential crises going on about business, about how to market, what's happening with, uh, is sustainability and marketing a, a paradox? What's our role within organizations? And I think the challenge is if we all try and solve problems individually, in the same way as if you know every trade body, every person who cares about marketing tries to set up new initiatives here and, and there, we are not going to be able to have uh, seismic change and progression. So I think the opportunity is to continue to build a sense of community and network and understanding that together we can achieve more than alone. And I think that is what will change things for us. Uh, but I think exhaustion is probably the biggest challenge for most leaders in business generally, um, but particularly marketing leaders and advertising leaders. Uh, you know, the pressure and the pace is relentless. So we need each other. We need to be able to be smart about using technology as an accelerator, but also be proud of our human understanding and what role that will play in making businesses better, more successful, more uh, positive uh, parts of society. Great, great answer. And I love that you took some time to think about it. And the word that comes to mind looking at you and your leadership of the marketing society and the impact you're having is that injection of humanity into what you're doing. And I think that's so important. Uh, and the role that you are playing as a leader uh, and as a thought leader, not everybody gets that right. And I think, Sophie, you really are. And your imprimatur on everything you touch, uh, you're leaving real footprints in the sand. And there's a lot to be proud of. I know that uh, we are similar in one way in that we don't think about what we accomplished yesterday. We think about what we have to accomplish tomorrow and beyond. Uh, and I can't wait to see you in New York. I can't thank you enough for doing this. This was an awful lot of fun to finally get you on Great Minds. Thank you, Matt. And the next thing that I really want us to focus on, you're right, we're moving ahead. We've only just got started in New York, the potential for us to build and rebuild and, and get some momentum behind a dynamic community of progressive and ambitious marketing leaders. There's a lot we can do. So that's the bit I'm most excited about. And I can't wait to see you in New York. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.